Okay, welcome to Fauna Facts, where we talk about... Wait, is this how we usually introduce it? <laughs> um. Uh, yes, it is. Okay, welcome... Oh my god, I wish we didn't record this. Oh, okay. It's okay, I can cut it out, you know. I know, but I'm afraid you're going to put it as the intro or something. Now that I've gone back and listened to all of them, I'm like, oh, you make me look so good. You just put all my derpy wow. weird ones at the beginning. They're all of my favorite things because you're so funny. <laughs> no, I like it. Okay, good. Okay. Welcome to Fauna Facts, where we talk about animals and hopefully tell you some things you didn't already know in a humorous way. I'm Grace. And I'm Mads. Oh, okay. I guess that was a little rusty, because I can hear you laughing at me. <laughs> it's been a while. I know, that's true, that's true. You know, pro tip, you could just look at the podcast description or... I forget every time. I'm... Yeah. I... Of all the things that I'm going to talk about on the podcast, I do not think about the intro. I think about all the animal facts I'm going to deliver. <laughs> so that one just made me laugh. It just makes I just laugh every time. You know me; I laugh at literally everything. So are you I surprised? know it's true. You know, you don't make me feel bad. Don't worry. Okay, good. <laughs> well, today I wanted to talk about muscles. Hmm. The animal. Yes, yes, that's perfect because you probably, well, maybe you haven't forgotten, but in our last episode, you mentioned muscles very briefly and you talk about how you have a lot of bivalve videos. Oh, I did. I guess I didn't think about that. No, it's good. It's perfect. I don't have many videos about muscles. Um, I have videos of cockles and scallops, but not of muscles. Mm -hmm. So, I was going to talk about muscles today. Yeah, no, please do. I didn't mean to imply that those no, are No, no. I don't know. If anybody has cute muscle videos, please send them my way. Oh my god, I hope someone just sends us a picture of them flexing. <laughs> oh no, please don't send me those. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I won't get as much enjoyment out of that. You definitely won't. You won't, you won't get nearly as much no, I want bivalve videos, not human videos. <laughs> so, so anyway, I was going to talk about freshwater mussels. Um, and originally, I was going to put this in a talk about them in the context of fish parasites. Ooh. But the more I read about them, the, I don't know, they just deserve their own episode. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I said fish parasites because actually, which is super cool, is... Freshwater mussels, part of their life, they spend as, I guess, parasite might be the wrong word because they don't hurt the fish that much, but they spend part of their life inside fish's gills. Hmm. Yeah, so what happens is the mother mussel, she has these eggs, these fertilized eggs, but if you're a mussel, you don't really move around that much. So what they do is, different species have different ways, but they have these little lures. So sometimes, you know, the fleshy bits that stick out of the shell. If you've ever looked at a mussel or a clam, 
Yeah. So that's called the mantle, but that fleshy bit, they make it look like, like a prey species for a certain kind of fish. So they make it look like a little minnow, or sometimes they have this mucousy strand that acts as a lure. Ugh. And so the fish comes up and it's like, oh, something tasty. And then when it gets close, the depending on the species, the muscle either, muscle either just sprays a bunch of fertilized eggs in the gills in the fish's face <laughs> or it like like the fish bites the actual egg sac um that's not the right word but that's what it is and then it gets stuck in its gills oh my goodness yeah the tiny muscle larvae they hatch and then it the gills form a little pocket around it kind of like a a cyst not quite but it you can think of it that way and then they travel around for a couple months, I think. I don't know, maybe it's not that long. But they travel around until they find a good spot, and then they drop off and develop into adult muscles. Okay, I have a few questions. Yes, please ask. Okay, question one. When you say find a good spot and drop off, are they just, like, feeling the water for... I don't know. No, like, how do they know? Yeah. How do they know where's a good spot? I have no idea. I think they probably have to get big enough. So I think they're the living off, I guess they are parasites because they are living off the insides of that pocket they're living in. So but I don't know. I think it gets, it's when they get to probably a certain age here on the... U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says it t only takes a couple weeks, not a couple months. Mm. Not that bad for the fish, but... I mean, how big... They're pretty tiny. They're pretty tiny. Like, it really doesn't hurt the fish that okay. much. Yeah. So, like, what? how big is the average fish that is going through this experience? Do you know? Hmm. No. I mean, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's an indiscriminate... No, it's not indiscriminate. They're actually um, very specialized to to certain species of fish. Oh, wow. So here it says skipjack herring is one of them. One of the fish? Yes, but I don't know enough about fish to know how big that is. Because <laughs> I was much more interested when I was doing my research about the muscle. mussels than the, than the fish. That's okay. But I don't think it's a I don't think it's a small fish. Right. I don't think it's a tiny fish. I think it's something that you'd want to eat. So skipjack that sounds like a tasty fish, right? I'm not I have no I have no idea. <laughs> I I uh I don't even eat fish and neither do you, right? So I eat some wild caught Alaskan salmon. <laughs> <laughs> good to know, good to know. I know it makes and anchovies. Oh. Yeah. I I don't know. Just, yeah, you shouldn't ask why. <laughs> okay, I won't. Anchovies are tasty and salmon is caught, well, uh -huh. sustainably harvested. So. Right, right. I had, I had another question. Okay. You don't have to talk about this now, but at some point when it naturally makes sense to do so, could you explain to me, uh, like, what's the difference between a mussel and a clam, for example? Well... The difference between a mussel and a clam, I think, is one, I don't think clams have this 
the glochidia, like the, the little larvae that live in the fish gills for a little bit, I don't think they reproduce that way. Hmm. And then um, they also have some differences in their shells, which I wouldn't be able to tell you. Mm-hmm. It's like the way they open. Mm. But even when I'm talking, here I'm talking about freshwater mussels. But like looking at the taxonomy, they're like, well, some of these mussels aren't even real true mussels. We just call them that. Oh. So here I'm just using the broad term mussel. But as far as, that's the big things I know about the difference between mussels and clams. Um, I'm sure there's other differences. Thank you. Please carry on. Yeah. And also I learned in my research that North America is a diversity hotspot for mussels, which I did not know. We have almost 300 species of mussels in North America. Wow. Yeah. But... Fortunately, most of them are endangered hmm. or threatened. 70% of mussels in North America are, in, are extinct or imperiled. Uh, That's a big deal. Wait, so, so 70% are extinct or imperiled, so there, are, there were more than 300 then? I don't know. I'm reading off the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. They were, I guess I could go to the literature, but... I mean, you're fine, you're fine. I think originally there were just under 300, and now with that count, they think that most of them are extinct. Or not extinct, but in danger of some kind, if they're not already gone. In, in comparison, about 16% of mammal species are extinct or imperiled, and 14% of bird species are extinct or imperiled. In North America. Wow. So, yeah, these guys aren't doing so hot. Which is too bad because they're really cool. And they do a lot for the ecosystem. So they clean streams out. They take things floating in the water and they either eat them. Or if they can't eat them, they deposit things called pseudo-feces. Because it looks like feces. But it's not actual poop. They just spit it back out. <laughs> huh. Yeah, so they just take it out of the water and then put it into the substrate next to them. And you've probably heard of zebra mussels, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah, so zebra mussels are a kind of freshwater mussel that is invasive and they cause a lot of harm, but they're really good at outcompeting the other mussels, the native mussels, so they'll grow over them or they're actually just better at filtering things out of the water column, the native native mussels, and being choosier about what they're eating. So the native mussels, in order to compete, they'll try to eat things that aren't good for them, and the zebra mussels will be like, mm, no, I don't actually want to eat that. Our native mussels aren't doing too, too good, but they're still really cool. There's something else cool about them. I'm trying to think. Mm, maybe that's it. But I don't know. <laughs> I just think... <laughs> It's just so... Why, why is that funny? I just thought you sound like a little angry. Yeah. Well, I am. Why? I just want more muscle facts, and I thought I had more. And I just don't want to end in a downer. It's such a downer. Like, they're so cool, and they're dying. 
Yeah. <laughs> they they are very cool though. I really like that fact about this bit in their eggs. Yeah. Just uh, amazing. I remember what I was going to talk about. So yes, mussels, some mussels can live for well they live a really long time like up to 60 to 70 years depending on the species some even over a hundred years i don't know how to put more on that that was just my tidbit oh and then to clarify <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. so it takes and it takes them a while until they start to like actually reproducing and forming those little glycidia do you know how long i was trying to look that up while you're talking I couldn't find that. I read it someplace. I think I want to say like 10 years or something, but Whoa. don't, it's a really long, it's years. It's definitely not months. Um, might not be 10 years, but what else was I going to say? Oh, and I think I said something incorrect before. So I said they release fertilized eggs into the fish, which makes no sense. The eggs have been brooding and hatched inside the female's brood pouch. And so they actually just release the larva right into the gills Whoa! of the fish. That's so gross. That makes more sense. I was like, so gross, but so cool. Uh, I guess I'm surprised to hear that baby mussels are called larvae. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you have to be careful sometimes. But I don't know what else. I mean, they give them a special name, but I think they are larvae. I don't know what else you call them, though. I don't know. Babies. <laughs> Babies. Yeah, people would get confused if you're like, I found a baby in a fish. <laughs> a baby muscle. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> ba baby. No, a baby. So, yes, that was my errata notes for this episode already excellent all right you ready yes so what i want to talk about today is a bird that i think is very very cool it is called the bearded vulture i hope you don't know it Ooh. it's also known no i don't excellent it's also known as the lammer gear Geir? Geir? I don't know how to speak German, I'm sorry. Which means lamb vulture in German. Because of its appearance and also kind of what it eats, it has a reputation that's not necessarily true of carrying away lambs, calves, and even children. But that's not... Oh gosh. There's not, that's not true. That has to be a pretty big bird. Yeah, that has to be a pretty big bird. Yeah, it's not true. The They're not known to be hostile to living humans. Mm-hmm. So the bearded vulture lives and breeds on crags in high mountains. It's in southern Europe, Africa, uh, India, Tibet. I think it said the greatest population of them is in Ethiopia. They are often found near alpine pastures and meadows. They kind of prefer desolate, lightly populated areas where they can scavenge more easily. They're pretty big. They can be like four feet long and have a wingspan of seven to nine feet. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. And they're pretty unmistakable 
with other vultures or like any birds really because they have these very long narrow wings and they also have a long wedge-shaped tail which is pretty unusual for a bird of prey. Their proportions have been compared to a falcon scaled to an enormous size. Hmm. So why I think they're super cool is they're very hardcore. The bearded vulture is the only known animal whose diet consists almost in almost exclusively of bone and bone marrow. So like 80% of its diet is just bones. <laughs> so wait, it's this huge bird that only eats bone and bone marrow? Uh-huh. Okay. Where does it get this? It's pretty cool. A skeleton left on a mountain will dehydrate and become protected from bacterial degradation, and then this bearded vulture can return to consume the remainder of a carcass even months after the soft parts have been consumed by other animals, and also like larvae and bacteria. They also, if they find a picked over carcass and the bones are too big, they will drop it from really high up to shatter it into pieces that they can actually swallow. Wait, wait. So they just eat, they just eat bone. Like, they actually eat bone. Yeah. <laughs> like, dried out pieces of bone. Uh-huh. Like, leave it for a couple months and eat pieces of bone. Uh-huh. Don't feed your dog a chicken bone because it'll die, but you can feed it to this thing. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool? What? Yeah, that's crazy. I thought you were gonna say they split it open and like scrape out the marrow, not just eat whole bone shards. <laughs> oh my god. They do both. So yeah, they can fly. They can pick up and fly with bones nearly equal to their own weight, and they drop them. Then they spiral down to inspect it, and they might repeat it more times if it's not sufficiently cracked. And apparently this is a learned skill that requires extensive practice and can take up to seven years to master. What? So there's just a bunch of like baby vultures watching some other vulture drop bones. I don't know. I mean, that's pretty... I think that's normal, but it's so... Like, I can just... The activity that they're learning is so weird. <laughs> yeah, they also they also have another name, which I don't know what language this is in, so I'm definitely not going to say it right. But Ossifrage? Ossifraga? Ossifra? <laughs> I don't know what language, sorry. But it means bone breaker, for obvious reasons. Mm. How it can eat all of this is its stomach acid has a pH of about 1, and so the dense material can be digested in under 24 hours. The high fat content of bone marrow makes the net energy value of bone almost as good as that of muscle, even if the bone is less completely digested. Jeez. They also have favorite breaking spots that they go to drop these bones that are called ossuaries, which is oh my creepy. And um, yeah. they are known to eat some live things, actually more so than other vultures on average and during the breeding season they're mainly feeding on carrion like limbs of sheep other small mammals especially when they're raising young um they'll eat like meat so that they can regurgitate it to their young yeah i think it might be hard to regurgitate bones Bones. (laughs) yeah exactly they also eat uh small lizards and turtles oh okay another cool note is that 
They occupy an enormous territory year-round. They can forage over two square kilometers each day. They also have a really spectacular breeding display, mating display. They show their talons. They tumble and spiral in solo flight. And then often two birds will lock feet with each other and fall some distance through the sky with each other, which I thought sounded very cool. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I have heard of these. Somebody mentioned them and showed me a picture, and I was like, okay, it's some animal I don't know. I don't really care that much because it's a bird. But they didn't go into the detail that you did. Well, there's more. Oh. Oh, yeah. There's more. This is also very cool, I think. So the wild bearded vultures rub soil into their feathers to look more intimidating. So actually, these vultures aren't bald like most vultures. They do have feathers on their head and neck. And the head and neck feathers are kind of white. And so these birds will apply dirt that's stained with iron oxide. They'll apply the dirt with their claws and then preen for like an hour to ensure a really bright, fiery color. And they're also attracted to other red things like leaves and redwood. So they think the bright orange coloring is a status symbol. It doesn't have any practical purposes. Obviously, it's not good camouflage, although they don't have any natural predators, so it doesn't, I guess it doesn't really matter. Scientists have noticed that the bird's age and size are directly correlated to the intensity of the color, and so that's why they think that it's a status symbol. So the bigger, stronger birds just preen more with orange oxide, or what? Yeah, the idea is that the redder your feathers, like the more time and resources the bird had to find to bathe in the dirt. And so the brightest colored vultures should have the most territory and the best knowledge of their surroundings. And super interestingly, these baths are done in secret. So most of the information on him has been gathered through spying on captive birds, which also do it, which is interesting because it's not learned then. It's instinctual. Hmm, I don't know. That's that's kind of like, actually, that's kind of contentious, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. What is? The idea that, like, this is directly related to how good of a mate a bird is. Hmm. So that's really interesting. I mean, I believe you. I just, I would just, I'm probably going to look it up and see, like, the paper that they got this from and how they came. Yeah, that'd be great. So, hmm. Let me know. Yeah, that's so interesting, though. Secret. Like, apply, like, I'm not wearing makeup. (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't dye my hair. It's like, well, yeah. Mm. Okay, a little bit more. So, they can live up to the age of 45 in a captivity, but in the wild, they usually last about 20 years. Sadly, the population is also declining. It used to only be categorized as a threatened species of least concern but has now been raised to near threatened so not like terrible but not great (laughs) and it's getting worse Mm. but i'm not going to end on that note 
I'm going to end on some pop culture references. Oh. I guess pop culture. Related to these vultures? Yes. Oh. It can't be that much pop. No, you're right. I I take it back. I I just meant cultural references, not pop culture. (laughs) Sorry. Because I was like... Pop in their time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm not that hip, but I don't know anything about them, so... No, you're right. All this, all these references are very old. Not very old, but old. Anyway, so in Iran, the bearded vulture is a threatened species, and in Iranian mythology, they consider the rare bearded vulture to be a symbol of luck and happiness, and it was believed that if the shadow of one of these vultures fell on you, you would rise to sovereignty. And anyone who shot one of those birds would die in 40 days. Oh, gosh. So it's kind of like an albatross type thing. Sure. No. Sure. Right? Isn't it bad luck to shoot an albatross? I honestly don't know. I'm so sorry. Okay. That's pop culture. That's cultural literacy right there. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I'm ignoring you and I'm going to continue. <laughs> okay. I didn't mean to make you feel bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> in the Bible and the Torah, the bearded vulture called the, oh gosh, I should really learn how to say this word, ossifrage, ossifrage, is among the birds that's forbidden to be eaten, and that's in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, this you probably have heard of, but you just forgot, the Greek playwright Aeschylus was said to have been killed in for 56 or 55 BC by a tortoise dropped by an eagle who mistook his bald head for a stone. (laughs) If that actually did happen, it was almost definitely a bearded vulture and not an eagle that did that. Because that's what they do. They will actually drop tortoises on rocks to break them open. Jeez. So I didn't know that tidbit about history. Oh. So, no, I learned. That's why I laughed because I was not expecting that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I, I when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before, but I had never heard about the bearded vulture in conjunction. Hmm. But yeah, isn't that cool? Do you understand now why I said it's the most, like, hardcore bird ever? Yeah, it is pretty cool. When you said you were just going to talk about one bird, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I will have to, yeah, I'm going to look up those cosmetic iron. Mm-hmm. Weird dust baths. That's, I think, actually the most interesting thing about those vultures. The rest is really cool, too. I thought it was very cool, which is why I had it last. Yes. I always lead with my most interesting things. And then I just kind of cobble together some other stuff. Like, you're already hooked, so I don't know. I need to rework some the way I deliver things. Well, I don't know. You did it very, you did it very well. Oh, thank you. Did you did interesting, sad thing cultural reference so i need to do be better about that because i have a tendency to just end on sad things i think it's the biologist in me where i'm like oh yeah this is really cool now that you think it's cool you need to come away with sadness and a drive to solve this problem (laughs) so uh, it's true unfortunately yeah it doesn't make for good radio or maybe it does um (laughs) I don't know. I actually have no idea. Oh, man. I've already been 
indoctrinated. So. I think, I mean, I think it's fine. I mean, you didn't know that I wasn't done. You thought I was done way before I was done. So I guess maybe I should lead with more ex- yeah. exciting things. No, because you, that's where I would be done. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I usually find one cool thing and I'm like, oh, it's a bird. There can't be anything else cool about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, but that's not fair to birds. I'm going to try to find more vertebrate things. I realized it just, there's so many cool things that aren't vertebrates, but. It's okay. I can focus on them. But between, I do have, I, coming up, teaser, I do have some vertebrate facts. Nice. All right. Well, that's all I have. Okay, me too. Let's close this puppy out. And when I say us, let us, I mean me. Thank you very much for listening to Fauna Facts. If you'd like to look at visuals, you can find us on Instagram at Fauna Facts Podcast or on our blog at faunafactspodcast.blogspot.com. I also did not prep to check that. And could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> now I'm now I'm futzing it like you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. After you like give me that pep talk after that, it's not that bad. You're doing a good job. <laughs> no, I'm definitely doing a lot worse than you ever do. <laughs> so remember to rate five stars, obviously. Uh, review, write a review if you want to, and subscribe. This has been episode 12 of Fun Facts. Bye. Bye.